0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case has come at the request of many of you listeners, especially those of you on Instagram. Today, we discuss the disappearance of Monica Moynan. This is a case about domestic violence that goes past the point of no return. If you've never been in an abusive relationship, I want you to challenge yourself to not ask, well, why didn't she just leave? The psychology behind being a battered woman is something that's so hard to understand if you haven't been in that situation, but no one enjoys it and no one stays because it's fun. The time where a victim of domestic violence is most likely to be killed by their abuser is when they decide to leave. So keeping that in mind, small talk will never be as important as sharing Monica's story, so let's dive in. Monica Moynan, who was lovingly known as Mani, was the kind of girl that everyone loved. She could identify with anyone. She was an old soul and was indiscriminately empathetic. She was the kind of person you could talk to about anything and she would feel your feelings right along with you. And when you met her, you felt like you had known her all of your life. Mani was all of those kind and sweet things, but rest assured, she was also sassy and quick-witted. She'd always been an independent thinker, had strong opinions, and stood up for what she thought was right. And as strong as she was, like many unbreakable women do, she fell victim to domestic abuse. She never saw it coming. Nobody did. In Moni's senior year of high school, her and her high school boyfriend both wanted to get jobs, and ideally together, so they applied to a local Office max store. Moni got the job, but her boyfriend didn't, and no one would know until years later that this was the beginning of the end for her. It's at that office, Max, that she meets and falls in love with her manager, Brian. Monty was just 17, and Brian was 27. At least that's what he told her. But her mom, Melanie, got mad dirtbag vibes and knew this guy wasn't telling the truth. When Monty pressed harder, he confessed that he was really 30, and then 32, and then 35. And when Melanie finally just Googled Brian, she found out that the boy, man, vying for her daughter's heart was actually 38 years old. Brian was 21 years older than Monty. He was literally ordering a Long Island iced tea when she was coming down the birth canal. Like most abusive relationships, Monty and Brian started out like any other whirlwind romance, fast and hard, but their shiny new toy of a relationship turned into a used teddy bear from a yard sale real fast. Brian was good when he was good, but he was bad when he was bad, and the bad would slowly, over time, turn into something monstrous. Unfortunately, with the bad times becoming more and more frequent, it almost made the good times and even the mediocre times seem that much better, almost as if the constant abuse made getting high on the little things in life easier. He was like a drug, he was in control of her happiness and her devastation, and being beaten down on a regular basis can make something as simple as a hug feel like a victory. It wasn't long before the two moved in together. Brian already had a townhouse because he was, after all, a grown ass man. I use the term man loosely. So she moved into his place in Clayton. Not long after, when Monty was just 18 years old, she found out she was pregnant. Moni adored every aspect of her pregnancy from watching her belly grow to feeling her baby girl, yes, it's a girl, move around. She could not wait to love this little being unconditionally and maybe just maybe their daughter could teach Brian what true and unconditional love looks like. On September 12, 2016, beautiful little Kaylee entered the world and Moni was love-struck. Nothing would ever mean more to her than her daughter. She reveled in motherhood, the good, the bad, the ugly. From labor to breastfeeding, she adored every second of it. But as bright as her daughter made her world, Brian was still a looming darkness that wasn't getting any lighter. During one of Brian's episodes, he made Monty and Kaylee get out of the car on the side of a busy road. In another instance, he pushed Monty during an argument, and when that wasn't enough, he resorted to choking her, pressing hard for longer each time one of the times he choked her she almost lost consciousness and couldn't figure out whether to yell for help or beg him to stop but she could hardly do either because she couldn't breathe she eventually became so terrified of brian that she filed a restraining order he couldn't be anywhere near her and since they lived together that meant he couldn't come back to the townhouse if she was there but Monty was so scared that he would come back to finish the job that she and kaylee went to stay with her parents who lived about an hour away that night That exact night, Monty's parents' house was egged. That is one hell of a coincidence and a long-ass drive to waste some eggs. You know, if Brian did it. Mm Mm-hmm. She stayed with her parents for a couple of months before she felt safe enough to live on her own. Finally feeling like she could exhale, Monnie went out and got her first apartment, a cute little townhome in Holly Springs that she could call her own. It was a safe haven where her and her daughter could start over. Brian would come and see Kaylee somewhat regularly, but then he'd go months without seeing her, and then he'd show up on a regular basis again. He was an all-or-nothing kind of guy, and nothing was his regular setting. But Monty wanted to do anything that she could to provide her daughter with a family, so she never denied Brian access to his daughter. Sure, he's been abusive to her, but never to Kaylee, so she allowed it. But Brian took advantage of her generosity and optimism. He saw her kindness as a weakness, and he used it to evade his responsibilities as a father when he wanted to, and a way to weasel himself back into Monty's life when he was lonely. And it worked. He always found a way back. In June of 2017, Monty wrote this blog entry about her relationship with Brian. It's long, but it's important all of it is important. It gives you an insight into their relationship that only Mani can give. And I don't think that anyone can tell you the horrors of their relationship better than she can. So here it goes. Evil. You have entered my life and fed me nothing but lies from the start. So secretive and so manipulative, you portrayed yourself as something great. Someone who loved and cared and was funny. The mask you wore was quite convincing, but it didn't take long for you to show your true colors and what dark colors those were. I was naive to not see you clearly at first. I thought I was going to have a family, a marriage, a baby. I'm a real person with real feelings, real connections, real compassion, and real love. Something you wouldn't understand. I have no idea where things took a wrong turn in your life, but you fucked up when you thought you could steer mine in that same direction. You've taken me through a tornado of hell, but I am thankful. You taught me about the evil that exists in the world, the dirty snakes who play mind games, cheat, steal, abuse, and lie. You proposed to me on December 29th, 2015. We found out I was pregnant on January 9th. A blessing was about to enter my life, but so was a lot of heartache. The lies became more and more, and so the arguments became more frequent and more aggressive. Some were white lies, some not so much. I pushed through and hoped for the best because, although the lows were low, the highs were so high. I felt like you understood me. Me. I could be myself, and I was loved for just that. But maybe that was all just a fun game for you. After the baby was born, things got worse. I wasn't going to let you bully me around. I dug deep to find out your secrets and watched you shake in panic. The closer I got, the angrier you became. Always hiding your phone, always lying about money, always hiding who you really were. When you started avoiding sex with me, it hurt. When I found porn on your phone while you were avoiding sex with me, it hurt even more. I felt like a piece of shit, ugly, worthless, sad, and lost. You soon turned into an angry and mean man, resorting to violence when caught in lies and unsure of your next move. I'll always remember the night of our anniversary, the first night you laid your hands on me. I fled to my mom's that night, crying more tears than I knew I could. Our relationship was rocky and messy and carried no exact title after that. I'm not going to call myself stupid for trying again with you because I wasn't stupid, I was in love, but I should have listened when you said it would happen again, again, and again, and again. I found out so many things about you, like how you were still married to your ex-wife all along. Yes, this motherfucker was married while he was living with, proposing to, and building a family with Moni. but let's continue. And what a bitch she was, your little fucking partner in crime. This statement will seem eerily ominous in a few minutes. Helping you harass me on social media, showing up by your side at all of our court dates and at our apartment to help you pack your shit. I'll never forget the message she left me once where she said, I usually do what he tells me to do. It made me sad. You've always been the shittiest father to your kids, evil. You never truly love them because you're incapable of such a genuine and vulnerable emotion. You see your boys once in a blue moon. He has two boys with his ex-wife, by the way choosing anyone and everyone over them. You haven't seen your daughter in a month and you've gone two before. And let me make this statement right now. You will never get the chance to see her again because believe me, I tried. Even if you degraded and abused me, I still wanted you to have a relationship with your baby girl. I tried too hard. You never sought time with her to simply have time with her. You came to see her when it meant seeing me and getting another chance to manipulate me. I can never trust you with her anyways, so it's best you made the choice not to be in her life, although she doesn't deserve that. An innocent girl growing up to wonder why her daddy didn't care enough to be around, to love and support her, to be there for her milestones and big events, to teach her what a man is. No, you could never do something like that because you don't even know what a man is. But believe me when I say my baby girl is going to be just fine, not fine, great. You cause nothing but pain to everyone you meet in life because misery loves company. There was one night where I almost died being choked out, laying on my living room floor, gasping for air or help. That was the closest I'd ever been to death. All I could think about was my baby and I wasn't about to let you of all people take my life away from me. We've been through so much, but I've come out a stronger person. Never will I let evil enter my life again. Today, I learned some news that while we were together, while I was pregnant with our baby, you were cheating on me. I knew it all along. I could just never get you to admit it. So I hoped maybe you didn't. Maybe that was the one thing I dodged out of all the horrible things that could happen to somebody. I should have known better. I knew my gut was telling me something when I found those receipts. I knew my gut was telling me you were a cheater when you slept with your phone in your pocket and always left the house with cologne on to run a simple errand and always showered before we went to bed. You were dirty, fucking dirty. To imagine myself laying in bed, home alone and pregnant, waiting for my fiance to get home from work while he was fucking another bitch is the most disgusting vision I can process at the moment. I hope you understand that you hurt me an unbelievable amount, but you did not break me. I hope you see all the trauma you've caused, this hell on earth you've created. I hope you will stop ruining people's lives, but I doubt you will." I hope you're surprised by my strength and amazed by my vulnerability because I'm not afraid to tell the truth. I'm not afraid to be honest and raw and genuine and stand the fuck up. I'm thankful for the lessons I've learned and the woman I am today. I'm thankful to be the mother I am and get the chance to share my life with the most beautiful, beautiful soul I know to be on this planet. I'm thankful to have God in my life and be able to now steer clear from these demons you tried to bring into my life. Goodbye forever, evil. And don't you ever try to come back back. But Brian did come back. He tried and tried and tried, and eventually he won her over with his charm and empty promises. He took advantage of the hope she had that he would become the man she thought he was. There's a quote from the book Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert that I think every woman should hear, and more than hear it, I think they should feel it. I've always fallen in love fast and without measuring risk. I have a tendency to not only see the best in everyone, but to assume that everyone is emotionally capable of reaching his highest potential. I've fallen in love with the highest potential of a man rather than the man himself, and I've hung on to the relationship for a long time, sometimes far too long, waiting for the man to ascend to his own greatness. Many times in romance, I have been a victim of my own optimism." Tell me you didn't just feel that in the bottom of your soul. Google it, print it out, tattoo it on your face, tape to your mirror, and remember it for the rest of your life. Mani knew the good in Brian, she knew who he was capable of being, so time and time again, she gave him another chance, hoping that this time, it wouldn't just be a mask that would be taken off. The two never lived together again after the restraining order, and they never had an official title, but they did see one another from time to time, Brian usually using Kaylee as an excuse to see her mom. And in a fluke, towards the end of 2017, Moni found out she was pregnant again, expecting another daughter with Brian. Instead of being excited like she was the first time, this time she was sad, but more than sad, she was scared. However, she insisted to her worried family that every baby is a blessing and they should just focus on being happy about the new life that would be joining them in the next few months. Brian, on the other hand, was fucking elated. To him, this was a win. Monty couldn't possibly go anywhere now. She was carrying his baby, after all. As she did before, she made the decision to blissfully enjoy her pregnancy, rubbing her belly, talking to her soon-to-be second daughter, and loved getting Kaylee amped up to be a big sister. In August of 2018, baby Nova came into this world and took Moni's breath away. All the infinite love she thought she had for her first daughter doubled when there were two. Moni's mom was in the room during the delivery, just like she was with Kaylee, but this time Moni asked that her mom catch the baby as she came out, and it was the absolute brightest moment of her mother's life. She was able to bring the little girl into the world that the little girl she brought into the world was bringing into the world. Their wholehearted, soul-reaching mother-daughter bond came full circle that day, and it's something the two would never forget. Brian was also in the room, but was awkward as fuck. He was acting like he was expecting his first. He was nervous and unhelpful, not being particularly supportive of the labor that Monty was going through. And it seemed like he wanted Bonnie's parents to treat him like he was some new young first-time parent when he had more kids than they did and he was around their age. It was right after the birth of Nova that Moni really put in her best effort to make her, Brian, Kaylee, and Nova a true family. She was more patient with Brian than ever. She let things slide. She gave him the opportunity to be a good father and to be faithful to her. But within a few months, towards the end of 2018, Moni accepted that this was just never going to happen. It wasn't going to work out. Brian wasn't the man she wished he was, and she was never going to turn him into something that he wasn't. She let him go, and he was not ready. No one makes decisions for Brian. That's not how Brian works. If Monty wanted him to stay away, that's the exact opposite of what he was going to do. Soon, Brian began to stalk Monty. He would park his car across the street from her apartment and just watch. He would drive by multiple times a day. He was seen wandering in the freaking woods behind her apartment. Seriously, what normal ass person just chills out in the woods? No offense to the camping community. Brian even allegedly slashed the tires of a male friend of Monty's who was in town visiting another friend of hers in the same complex. I repeat, he was just a friend of Monty's. Not that that even matters. Moni's co-workers say they saw her come to work on multiple occasions with bruises on her body. They even say Brian's shown up before only to drag Monty out by her hair. One time, Moni told a co-worker... When something happens to me, I don't know what will happen to my kids. She said when, not if. Come 2019, Monty was trying to get some sort of normalcy back into her and the girls' lives. They started having regularly scheduled dinners out with Monty's parents. Brian would occasionally invite himself along, and he was either one of two people. Brian number one, who sat there silently and just stared at whoever was talking, and Brian number two, who tried to act like he was Monty's equal, like he was her age, like he was a fucking normal person. But he wasn't fucking normal. He wasn't her age. He was 40. 40. And this cheap-ass middle-aged asshole always allowed Moni's parents the honor of taking the bill. Of course, such chivalry. Family events like holidays and reunions were a solid break for Monty. She got to spend time with her mom and bonus dad, who has really been an amazing father to her, and her sister, who she was especially close with, and she got to enjoy this without Brian looming over her. Kaylee and Nova got to enjoy being freely spoiled by their grandparents and aunt, and it was the kind of freedom that she had always been seeking. But in March of 2019, Moni's transmission took a massive shit on top of the already raging flames of a dumpster fire that she was trying to put out with Brian. But without a car, she was now once again dependent on this shit stain for transportation, which again gave him yet another opportunity to assert total control over her. But praise Jesus for Monty's parents because they came to the rescue with a new car and once and for all, she had no debt to Brian. She owed him nothing. She needed nothing from him. He was just some guy that she shared children with. This is when Monty really started getting her bearings and taking control of her life. For the first time in a long time, she felt like herself. She felt empowered. She started a small business making natural elderberry syrup and gummies, which she sold online and around town. She had amazing reviews and that shit was booming. She even signed up for classes to follow her dreams of becoming a doula, but she would never attend a single one. This was the most seemingly stable period of Monty's adult life, but to her family and friends, she seemed oddly standoffish in text. And she wasn't making plans with everyone like she had been, but they didn't think too much of it. Maybe she just didn't need anyone else the same way she used to. Maybe she just needed space to reset. Her family and friends loved her and didn't think too much of it. That is until July 23rd of 2019. On July 23rd, Melanie, Monnie's mother, got a phone call from Brian's ex-wife's sister, Jackie. Say that three times fast. Jackie said that she was just in the Verizon store where she ran into Brian and the girls and that he had Moni's phone with him, but Moni wasn't around. Melanie knew something was wrong, really wrong. So she called and called and called and eventually the phone was turned off. Brian turned Moni's phone off. Without missing a beat, Melanie called the Holly Springs Police Department and Monty's apartment manager and asked them to go check on her daughter. They got back to Melanie a little while later and told her that no one was home and that everything was clean and everything seemed pretty normal. All the ears of every mom of a toddler just perked up. What the fuck is clean when you have a toddler and a baby? Now we all know something isn't right. Without a second thought, Melanie and her husband hopped in the car and took the hour drive to Moni's apartment. The manager wouldn't let her parents in without her, which was literally the entire problem. But luckily, HSPD showed up and took the pair to the police station and listened, actually listened to the serious concerns they had about their daughter. All these weird texts, standoffish times, and lack of physical time spent with her in the last months came flooding back, and instead of it seeming like a busy mom who needed some space, they wondered if it was ever Mani at all, and an intense amount of guilt washed over everyone who loved Mani. Everyone has beaten themselves up over and over for not knowing sooner, but there's nothing they could have done. Brian has done next to nothing his entire life, but pretending to be moni that was his passion project. Brian knew her, like she said he did in her blog post from 2017, but he used that to be her. Brian put more effort into pretending to be Moni than he's ever put into anything else in his entire life. For hours, the police took notes, asked questions, and eventually put out a missing persons report for Monica Moynan. On the same day, police print up flyers with Brian's face on them and tape them to the doors of every apartment in Monica's complex, directing residents to call the police if they see him. They go door-to-door asking neighbors about the last time anyone had physically seen Moni, and everyone said the same thing, that they hadn't seen her in months. Brian had been living there with the girls, but when anyone would go over to see Moni, he would either tell them that she was sick, sleeping, or in the shower. But she wasn't. After talking to friends, family, and neighbors, it's decided that the last time anyone physically saw Moni was during a night out on April 6th into the early morning hours of the 7th. Brian was at Moni's house watching the girls that night while she went out with some friends, which I'm sure he was less than thrilled about. Once Mani pulled up to the apartment, Brian texted her just a few minutes later asking, where the fuck are you? Which she replied with, I'm right outside smoking a cig. Mani did get home safe that night, but hasn't been seen or heard from since. Later that day, Brian made two frantic phone calls, one to his parents saying that his life was over and another to his ex-wife, Jarlyn, telling her something to the effect of, make sure the boys always know the girls, my life is over now. He went so far as to drive to Jarlin's house, freaking out and asking what he should do. And she told him to go to his parents' house in Bluefield, Virginia. And so he did. Police got wind that Brian was fleeing to Virginia. So they called his cell and told him that they needed to talk to him. Naturally, he was like, nah, bro, I'm fleeing. Just kidding. He told him that he couldn't because he was heading to his parents' house, which is basically the same thing. They asked him to turn around and he said that he would, but they knew he was a lying son of a bitch. So they contacted the police in Bluefield and the good old boys in blue met him at his parents' house as soon as he arrived. But to their surprise, Brian wasn't driving his car. He was driving Moni's brand new fucking car that her parents had gotten her just one week before she vanished into thin air. In the car, they find his two daughters, Moni's phone, and her bank cards. He had been using her phone frequently for at least two and a half months, and even had the balls to use what remaining money she had in her account to buy who knows what with. But more suspiciously, they also noticed that Monica's car reeked of chemicals. Red fucking flag. When asked why he was driving Moni's car instead of his own, he said it was because hers was the one with car seats. However, after taking her car to the station, they also asked for his because, you know, police work. Any guesses as to where they found it? The parking lot directly across from Mani's apartment complex, freshly outfitted with two perfectly working car seats for both of his daughters. And this is when Brian knew he had fucked up. Authorities flat out asked him Where's Moni? And he gave more than a couple fantastical stories. First, he told them that Moni had gotten addicted to heroin, and that they had tried some home rehab, but it didn't work, so she ran off on him and the kids on June 20th, claiming she sent him a text message saying, I can't do this anymore, but we all know this is complete garbage, since after April 7th, all activity from Moni's phone was Brian. Brian had told other people that Moni had been at an inpatient rehab facility for months. So like I said, he put some serious effort into this. He's just a fucking idiot. When confronted about the conflicting stories, he admitted that Mani was never a drug addict and that she was just depressed. Which sounds to me like he's realizing that no one's buying his she ran off bullshit, so now he's hoping to try and set the stage for people to believe she may have committed suicide. He dumb. They look into Mani's cell phone activity and see that the day after Mani disappeared, without knowing, her mother texted her, Hey honey, what's your schedule look like this week and how's everybody feeling? Brian responded as Mani, saying, I work pretty much every day, the ladies are still a little snotty, and my ear infection is still bothering me. Brian then took it upon himself to create a fake email account for Mani and used it to email her work to tell them that she wouldn't be coming back. He also created a fake Snapchat account, but I don't know why. He continued making Facebook posts on her account using old photos from her photo library and captioning them with things like morning shenanigans. He even wished her mother a happy birthday in a long, drawn-out post including photos and did the same thing on her parents' anniversary. In one post on her Facebook on June 13th, 2019, Monica was missing for a month and a week, but no one knew this yet. He made a very feminist post about women using the word bitch as an endearing term and how it's unacceptable. He knew what Monica would post, and when he found something he knew would trigger a strong opinion from her, he used that opportunity to channel his inner money and update her social media with it. He had text conversations with Monica's entire family, convincing them all that it was her until that July 23rd day where he was caught in public without Moni, but her phone in hand. The day he shut her phone off for the last time. But Brian ran into a problem. He was going to need to call people and pretend to be Moni, but he's a guy. So he enlisted help from none other than his partner in crime, his ex-wife Jarlin. She impersonated Moni on the phone and called her apartment manager to tell them that she wouldn't be able to meet up with him for whatever reason, rent, etc. And it worked. No one was any the wiser. Police asked him why he put all this effort into pretending to be her and keeping up her social media. And this narcissistic dunghole told them that he was doing it for everyone else's good so that they didn't have to know that Mani was a drug addict who deserted her family. He's so bad at lying that I'm in physical pain. My body hurts. The entire time Brian was being questioned, he fully thought he was going to be arrested. A few times, he just stopped the interviews and asked if he could just go tell his parents. Like he really thought he had already been caught. But ultimately, he was released and went back to his parents' house to live a normal fucking life with his two daughters whose mom many believe he made disappear. Police obviously took Mani's and his cars, but they also take Moni and his cell phones, along with his parents' cell phones, computers, tablets, and all that stuff. You know, the shit that really fucks people over. Moni's parents wanted to reach out to their granddaughters, but had no clue what any of Brian's parents' contact information was. So they were in this weird limbo. They didn't know where their daughter was. They did know where their granddaughters were, but they had no way to speak to or spend time with them. Nova turned one during this time, and Moni's parents couldn't even wish her a happy birthday. Eventually, Moni's parents were able to get their information to Brian's family and were allowed a Skype conversation, but there was one rule. They couldn't bring up Moni. Go fuck yourself. Little did these assholes know, Monty's mom and dad were tirelessly scrounging up every last penny they could to get the $6,000 they needed to retain an attorney to get those girls home, and on August 12th, it happened. Their lawyer marched on down to that courthouse and filed for emergency custody on behalf of Monty's parents, and it was granted. Melanie and her husband drove all the way up to Bluefield that very same day and picked up their granddaughters and haven't looked back. Police continue their investigation into Monty's disappearance and start fingerprinting everything. Black dust can still be seen on the doorknob of her apartment. They go through every possible cabinet and drawer in her home, and in the drawer of her nightstand, they find a positive pregnancy test. Was Monty pregnant again? It turns out that she had, in fact, confided in one friend that she was indeed pregnant, and she'd been asking her mom for photos of her insurance information. Moni scheduled an OB appointment at a local women's health clinic scheduled for April, but she never made it. Investigators took several items from Mani's apartment, including a knife and a leather sheath, a journal, letters, her life insurance policy, two bottles of bleach. What single mom of a toddler and an infant has two bottles of bleach lying around? a mop and tiles from her kitchen floor. When they removed the tiles, they found a large stain that looked like it was blood, blood that flowed so heavily that it seeped through the cracks of the kitchen tiles and soaked into the subfloor. When tested, the blood on the kitchen floor came back a perfect match to Monica Moynan. Mani's mom was allowed back in the apartment once after it was torn apart by crime scene investigators, and what she told me tore me apart. I wanted to share what she said with you so that you can experience how devastating this entire thing has been for her family. It was a horrible experience. It was completely torn apart by police, understandably, but still... Pipes torn out, kitchen tiles gone, etc., etc. Everything was literally everywhere, and everything was covered in luminol. I broke down pretty bad. I said goodbye to my baby that day as I bent down, removed the tarp, and kissed the blood stains on the kitchen floor. I'd be lying if I said I didn't break down in tears when she told me this. I don't generally get emotional when I'm researching cases, but this one's different. Maybe it's because I see so much of myself in Moni. maybe it's because I've gotten to know the people who loved her with every inch of their being. But the pain they're in is almost palpable, like you could hold it in your hands. Moni's father posted this story about a beautifully tragic moment they had one night after tucking Kaylee into bed, and I think it needs to be shared. Last night, after we tucked the girls in and said our prayers with Kaylee, we could hear her in the bedroom crying. So Mel went in to check on her. I was curious as well, so I listened outside the door. I'm sorry. Mel asked her. What's wrong, honey? I miss mommy, Kaylee said. I know, sweetie. I'm so sorry. It's so hard. It's okay to miss mommy. I miss mommy, too. Kaylee asked. Did you take care of mommy when she was a baby and little? Yes, I did, Bug. I tried to take good care of mommy. The tears in all of our eyes now begin to flow. And now you'll take good care of me, Kaylee asks. Yes, baby, Gampy, and I will take good care of you and Nova, I promise. Excuse me while I get my shit together. Monica was a staple in the lives of her children, her parents, and her sister. She was the glue that held them all together. She was the spark in their lives. She is loved, she is missed, and her family is grieving a heart-wrenching grief that feels so hollow that at times it's hard to remember to breathe. In October of 2019, Moni's case is upgraded from a missing persons case to a homicide investigation. They no longer believe that Mani is alive, and the new focus is finding out who killed Moni and where they put her body. Brian and his ex-wife, Jarlyn, are both considered persons of interest. You're shocked, I know. Soon after the status of the case is changed, Brian's ex-wife Jarlin's house is searched. There they find a photocopy of Moni's driver's license. How the fuck do you get that? And they find some photos from a laptop that she claims Brian had given to her. They take soil samples and electronics from the home and continue their investigation. But there's a plot twist. Jarlin wants to cooperate. She allows police to record conversations between her and Brian. And on one occasion, Jarlin asked Brian if he ever thought police would find Monty. And he responded with a simple no. On another occasion, Brian was recorded saying, I really don't think like there's anything because there's no evidence or anything like that. He later asked Jarlin if she thought he should run. Who runs if there's nothing to run from? According to ABC 11, a witness came forward saying that he saw Brian taking three big black trash bags out at 2 or 3 a.m. around the time Monty went missing. One, this asshole was just cussing her out for not being inside at a time he would have preferred. He's certainly not cleaning up her house in the middle of the night just to be helpful. Two, only murderers buy black trash bags. It's a fact. Google it. If you have them, I'm judging you. The first Christmas without Monty came, and the freaking magical, amazing, thoughtful, generous, incredible Holly Springs Police Department surprises Moni's parents and daughters with a full-blown Christmas morning. The photos of this actually made me cry, which I'm sure does not seem surprising now. The HSPD have actively made Moni's case a part of their lives and her family a part of their family. We usually see family members begging police for updates, but the HSPD update Moni's family weekly on what's going on and reassure them that they will not give up on their daughter. If you have any information about the disappearance of Monica Moynen or if you saw something strange in Holly Springs in April of 2019, please contact Holly Springs Police Department at 919-552-7110. Nothing is insignificant. If you knew Brian when he was in North Carolina and you saw or heard something, or if you've seen him since he moved to Bluefield and noticed something off, please contact the Holly Springs Police Department at 919-552-7110 or the Bluefield Police Department at 304-327-6101. We just want to bring Monty home and we want justice for her and her father and her sister, for her unborn child and for her two beautiful daughters, Kaylee and Nova. I also wanted to mention a fundraiser being held for Monty's parents who are now raising Monty's daughters, Kaylee and Nova. They went from being a family of three with one income and one vehicle to a family of five with one income and one vehicle. They could use all the help they can get. I'll be linking their GoFundMe in their highlight at the top of my Instagram profile. You can also search for it by searching Justice for Monty, Mani spelled M-O-N-I. For any and all photos pertaining to this case, check out Monty's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for the blooper reel. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just $2 a month, you'll never have to listen to another ad. And if you can't get enough true crime, for $5 a month, you get an extra bonus episode on the first Monday of each month, exclusive to Patreon members only. And whenever you sign up, you get access to all previous exclusive episodes. Join me on Instagram tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern for Crime Talk Live, where you go live with me and we discuss the disappearance and potential murder of Monica Moynen. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today. But until then, we out. shit shit (laughs) um let me see if I can (laughs) reread I'm gonna redo that last one nope (laughs) I'm gonna do that again shit nope oh fuck you It wasn't long before the two... We have to figure out how to turn the fucking text messages off of this motherfucking computer! (coughs) Shit. He... Oh my gosh. What the fuck is wrong with my mouth?